and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is the second half of the season finale for season five, uh, in which I am joined by my special guest co-host, Colin Conway, and we are interviewing Mark Bergen. If you missed the first half of that interview, I would bop back an episode and check it out. Mark is a very interesting guy, a retired cop out of Alexandria, Virginia, who has a, a great book called Apprehension. You can learn a lot about both of those things in the first episode and a little bit more in this episode as well. Uh, and we're going to dive into some additional topics with him in just a moment. But first, I do need to remind you that... Wrong Place Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that is something that you dig, you can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. All right, we will get to that interview that Colin and I did with Mark Bergen, the second half of it, in just a few moments. But first, uh, I have some book recommendations to share with you. Uh, well, not me exactly, but uh, other former guests who have been on the show are uh, banding together here to present some summer reading options for you. Uh, so I will let them take it away. Hi, this is Kevin Tipple of Kevin's Corner, and I'm back again today recommending another series. This one is from a uh, newspaper reporter's viewpoint. The latest book in the series is titled Monument, Willie Black Mystery Series by Howard Owen. It begins in May of 2020 in Richmond, Virginia, and there's some civil rights, social justice protests going on. Uh, there's a couple living above the bookstore, and somebody murders the people that lived in the bookstore. They left the child alive and did not harm the baby, but they killed the parents. And it happens to be a, a, a family member of Willie Black, who's a reporter for a newspaper in Richmond. Um, this is a really good series. I recommend reading them in order, though you could start with the latest one if you wanted to, but this called Monument. But the series began with Oregon Hill, and there's a number of books in a row from uh, from this author, and it's a really good series. Check it out. It's Monument by Howard Owen, and it began with Oregon Hill. Hey, this is Jamie Lee Fry, author of The Pretty Ones, and I do have a book recommendation. Um, a close author, friend, and mentor of mine, um, Elle Iverson, she writes um, Avenged Innocence. Um, it's a really quick paced, fast read. Um, I highly recommend it to anyone who is into dark, captivating thrillers. And that was um, Avenged Innocence by Elle Iverson. So this is Aaron Philip Clark, author of Under Color of Law, and I would like to recommend Curtis Ippolito's Bearing the Newspaper Man. It is a fresh take on a beat cop narrative that I think will have readers uh, caught up in the thrill and the mystery of it, but also it gives some insight into what it's like to be a beat cop and also the trauma that pushed 
his character into becoming a police officer. The author is Curtis Ippolito, and the book is Burying the Newspaper Man. Hi, I'm Emmeline Duncan, author of the Ground Rules Mystery Series. One book I would recommend is David Swinson's The Second Girl. It's a fantastic choice if you like anti-heroes and un unlikable narrators who still have a code of honor that you can get behind and enjoy reading about. And again, that's David Swinson's The Second Girl. Hi, this is Gavin Reese, author of the Michael Thomas Thriller series, and I want to recommend a book by Joshua Hood called Robert Ludlum's The Treadstone Transgression. This is the latest installment in the Robert Ludlum Jason Bourne universe, and Josh Hood is a former police sniper, former army ranger, and this guy writes an unbelievable version of Robert Ludlum's universe that is guaranteed to keep you up late at night. Um, as he puts it, he's all killer, no filler, all thriller. That title and author, one more time, are Robert Ludlum's The Treadstone Transgression by Joshua Hood. Hi, I'm Christy. Hi, I'm Kathy. We're from GOB with Christy and Kathy, and we're talking about our recs for this month. Mine is The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. Mine is The Christie Affair by Nina D. Germont. Yes, and we talk about it on our podcast, upcoming podcast, and we also are giving away copies of that, I mean, this month. Oh, that's right, we are. So The Christie Affair is about um, the 11 days where Agatha Christie went missing um, in 1926. And this is a fictionalized account as to what might have happened during those 11 days. And the violin conspiracy is just that. It's just a heartwarming book, actually, but it's a big conspiracy because who took his Stradivarius and will he get it back? Hey, everybody, this is Greg Levin, and uh, I would love to recommend a book by an author and friend of mine named Craig Clevenger. It's an oldie but a goodie, an oldie meaning, you know, kind of like the uh, early mid aughts, 2006, I believe. It is uh, Craig Clevenger's um, The Contortionist Handbook. It's a book that, I mean, I was already, you know, writing a lot and working on my own writing, but I discovered him and Chuck Palahniuk around the same time and just fell in love with both of their writing. But Craig, I just feel, deserves a shout out because he hasn't gotten quite the, uh, recognition he deserves. It's an amazing book. He's an amazing writer. He's a champion of other writers and just a wonderful spare kind of minimalist style, uh, brilliant satire, brilliant lyricism in his writing. So yeah, Craig Clevenger's The Contortionist Handbook. Hi, this is Jamie Mason, author of The Hidden Things. And since uh, art imitates life, I have two nonfiction books that fall into the crime genre that I just loved. One is Agent Sonia by Ben McIntyre. That is a um, wonderful book about the most valuable Russian spy in uh, World War II. 
and she was actually a, a German communist. Her life story is unbelievable. It's riveting. And the other is a book called Veritas by Ariel Samar. And it's about the chicanery in history and ancient biblical manuscripts. And if that doesn't sound interesting, I can promise you it has everything. It's got intrigue. It's got philosophy. It's got weird sex. There's just more in that book than you can believe. So that's uh, Veritas by Ariel Sabar and Agent Sonia by Ben McIntyre. Hey, this is Jeffrey Hess, uh, author of the Beachhead Trilogy and the forthcoming Scar Tissue. Uh, one of the books I've read recently is a little treasure from Jonathan Brown called Travel Money, and that's in the Grifters Song uh, series that I highly recommend. Uh, enjoyable, quick reads that'll, uh, that'll fill you up and keep you moving. All right? Enjoy. My name is Jill Mazur. I'm the author of The White Horse Pike, and I recommend Miss Benson's Beetle by Rachel Joyce and The Hunger Games by Susan Collins. Many people have heard of The Hunger Games or maybe have seen the movie. I happened across the audiobook and was just drawn in immediately by the pace, the subject matter. Everything was just unique. Miss Benson's Beetle deals with a strong woman character post-World War II who, who ventures halfway around the world to seek a special beetle. And it's a story of her adventures with her interesting sidekick. Hi, I'm Libby Hellman. I'm the author of 17 or 18 novels, depending on how you count them. Most of them are mystery thrillers. And I'd like to recommend The Lincoln Highway by Amor Towles. It came out earlier in 2022, or maybe it was 2021. And it's a wonderful book. It's a follow-up to his um, great book, A Gentleman from Moscow. But this one is set in the early 1960s in the U.S., and I, I, I call it kind of a guidebook because it's all about cars and cars getting mangled and auto body repairmen. And then it's all, it, it goes into railroad uh, stations where people are, are hiding and cars overnight, the hobos that are trans, uh, going across the country. And it's also about a, some money that's stolen and uh, two young brothers, the older one is only about 20 two and the young one is a 10 year old who knows everything about everything and it's a very charming novel and i recommend it highly the title is the lincoln highway and the author is amor towels hi guys this is neely tucker author of the sully carter series i got a book for you i think you'll like it's not crime directly but it kind of is. It's Steven Pinker's nonfiction history, The Better Angels of Our Nature. And it's a historical account going back thousands of years that documents that no matter what you think, we actually are living in the most peaceful times that humans have ever known. It covers everything from ancient warfare to why today the knife on your table has a rounded edge. 
people used to stab each other at the table quite a lot, as it turned out. Again, that's The Better Angels of Our Nature by Steven Pinker. It's sort of a doorstop at 700 pages, but if you're interested in how and why people are violent to one another, it's a really good read. Hi, this is Kevin Temple from Kevin's Corner, and I'm recommending another book today that anybody who re- who follows my blog knows I like police procedurals. This is not a police procedural. This is a private detective, Ed Earl Birch, and he first appears in The Last Second Chance, an Ed Earl Birch novel by Jim Nesbitt. There's three books in this series so far, and Jim says there's a fourth one coming, but it's not here yet. Uh, it starts in this savings and loan crisis of the late 80s and the early 90s here in Dallas. And he's been making, Ed Earl Birch has been making a, a few bucks thanks, here and there thanks to the scavengers that have come to feast on the remains of the SNL crash, as well as uh, his former business partners who are now looking for their ex-partners who have fled with money and, and whatnot. So he's, he's having dinner one night at Cafe Garcia. And he's hanging out there, and he knows the owner. And a woman with a gun shows up. The Last Second Chance, an Ed Earl Birch novel, is a violent crime fiction ride that spans across Texas. It's the first book in a three-book series so far. There's a fourth one on the way. This is nor crime fiction. It's dark. It's graphic in terms of language and violence. And it's not going to be for everybody. If you like cozies, this is probably not for you. If you like crime fiction, police procedurals, and are okay with language, this is an excellent read for you. It's The Last Second Chance in the Ed Earl Birch novel by Jim Nisbet. All right, there you go, folks. Some good books for the beach or poolside uh, this summer coming up. Uh, I will tell you that uh, crime writers know good crime fiction, so if the genre or style of book appeals to you, then those recommendations should all land. Uh, I would suggest checking them out, and uh, while you're at it, check out the uh, authors who made the recommendations. All of them have been on the show, and uh, all of their work is definitely worth a look. All right, let's uh, dive back into this interview with Mark Bergen for the uh, second half of it. Uh, uh, Colin Conway, my special guest co-star, uh, chose Mark as his interview subject, and Mark did not disappoint in the first half of this interview. As I mentioned, he is a retired lieutenant out of Alexandria, Virginia, uh, and his book, Apprehension, is a very detailed police procedural with a lot of punch. So if you like that kind of book, you will love this one. Let's hear more from Mark. One of the questions I'd have is if there are other police officers listening to this podcast who are considering being an author, what what advice would you have for them? Oh, God. Do what Joe Wamba did. Take notes. Take note after note after note. Just a little thing to help you remember cases. The hardest things for me to remember are the funny moments and you know they're there you know any of us can think of the times that we saw the funniest things happen but i can't remember them i can remember the violence i can remember the sadness i can remember the shock you know going through a door and tripping over a wire and thinking oh my god is this gonna hurt i thought it was a booby trap and it wasn't it was just a wire a guy had a wire in his hall what the hell um 
write stuff down. And then when the time comes, have the confidence just to write it. Write it and know that it's going to look like crap the first time you write it down. But write it all the way through and then reread it and then rewrite it and, and, and write it again. I mean, nobody sits down. Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who do sit down, write a book, start to finish and instantly publish it. So there are 700,000 books somewhere floating around on the Internet that are in the way of good books. The writing is hard work. And understand it's going to be hard work. It is. It, 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 if someone says that writing is easy, I'm betting that their product isn't really going to be worth the time to read it. I think it's 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 horribly hard. It's it's taking me forever to get through the second book. I keep distracting myself with with short stories that somehow these silly other cop editors have chosen to put in their books. Thank you both very much, gentlemen. But um, just write it, trust that your story is going to be good and that people will be interested, write it down and then show it to somebody. You got to show it to somebody. You've got to trust that that person, whether they like it, will help you improve it. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Well, do you want to talk about real quick the uh, the anthologies that you're in? Oh, golly. Um, the anthologies that you guys gave me the opportunities for. Uh, I remember meeting you. I think it was, was it at Dallas? I think so. At BoucherCon? Yeah. And when I started writing, I had the idea that writing was, you know, Dickens all alone up in the garret, you know, in complete seclusion, banging on a typewriter and not talking to anybody. The concept of a, of, of the writer's community was completely alien to me. So the the number of writers talented writers, fellow former cop writers out there just blew my mind. Uh, getting to know you guys, getting to read your stuff and going, oh, crap, <laughs> there, there's some really, really good writers out there. It, it inspired me. So having the opportunity, I never thought I would write short stories and I don't read many short stories. The only short stories I read are in the anthologies that you guys have done. And my friends' anthologies. I'm in a writer's group here that has a lot of short story writers. I was never interested in it, but I got started in it because of a local writer here named Ed Amar, who writes thrillers. And he he ran the DC Noir at the bar. I met him at Thriller Fest in about 2016 or so. And he invited me to a noir at the bar. And I'd never heard of such a thing. And then down the road, he invited me to, to read a story. So I wrote a short story, really my first short story. And Noir's at the bar, the stories have to be read in about six minutes. So that's maybe only a thousand words. It's really hit hard and get out. But the, the whole genre was, was, was new to me, but I liked it. I began to think of short stories. I like my, my chapters almost to be short stories. I like them to start with a bang, and end with, if not a cliffhanger, somewhat of a resolution to the bang that's going to come up later. I mean, my, my stories are full of Chekhov's guns. I want everything in the first half of the book to explode in the second half of the book. But I, I, I liked the, the compression of it. So having the opportunity, Colin, you offered me first to write a story for the eviction of hope within your world. Mm -hmm. That was fun. 
So I could go into your world. I read like four of your books. I read, I had to write them down. Uh, the Blind Trust, Side Hustle, The Suit, just to get a, just to get sort of a feel. And then to go into that world and, and create my own corner of it. And the fact that you liked it, that was, that's my first published short story. And as it happens, Frank having the same opportunity with you to write the tattered blue line, not so much in the specific local world, but within the realm of the new policing we're all doing. Uh, that gave me a big opportunity to try something new. And the fact that you like that story enough. And as it happens, that first short story, the one that I wrote for the, uh, for the Noir at the Bar, Mm-hmm. It's going to be in this year's BoucherCon uh, anthology. Oh, wow. I just found Get out. Get out. That's uh, awesome. They, they select. That's yes. Right. Yes. It's, it, it, it's amazing. Uh, there, 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 there's a cop in there you might find interesting because uh, she's not like anybody I've written before either. But um, it's been fun. It's it's nice to have other books now that I could put next to mine on the table when I'm trying to sell this one. And eventually down the road when number two comes out. My problem with book number two is going to be, can I sell a book with series characters where the first book really didn't take off well? And it's starting to lead me toward some hybrid or self-publishing considerations. Uh, self-publishing is not the bad thing that I used to think that it was. You know, I grew up, oh my God, that, that's vanity press. You're not going to do that. But I like the control that I had. With my last publisher, I didn't like the fact that I, you know, made like a dollar twenty off of each book. I'd rather make a little bit more. If, if they're not, gonna, if they're not going to market my book, I can do the same marketing and put it out myself. So I'm, I'm thinking about that. But yeah, short stories will continue, maybe, or maybe I'm done with it. But uh, I'm proud of the stories that I wrote for both of you guys. I'm really glad to have the to have had the opportunity for that. And I have one more short story coming out in November in an anthology that Josh Pachter is putting together. He's a short story writer that puts together books based on the work of um, singers. He had a very successful anthology called The Beat of Black Wings, where writers wrote about Joni Mitchell songs. They would take a Joni Mitchell song as the inspiration for their stories. Uh, And Josh will have one coming out in November based on Paul Simon. So I wrote a story that, that he just accepted. So sometime in November, uh, I don't even know the name of the anthology yet, but it's going to be coming out. It's called Paranoid Blues. That's it. That's it. And you know that? Um, I'm in it with you. Are you in it? Yeah, yeah. I, hey! I, I got the uh, I got to pick uh, A Hazy Shade of Winter as my as my tune. So and I was pretty oh, happy with the, with the result. What song did you did you grab? Look at that. Hmm. For no real reason. I had originally chosen Pigs, Wolves, and Sheep. Have you ever heard that song? No. It's it's Paul no. Simon's worst song ever. <laughs> it is unlistened toable. It is just this awful. But I thought Pigs, Wolves, and Sheep, it gives me all the uh, all the chess pieces I can move around in a story. But I hated the song so much. And I was sitting in a bar in Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina, out on a pier. And the whole story came to me. And I couldn't fit it into Pigs, Wolves, and Sheep. So I looked for another title that I could plug in. And then he hated that story. And I rewrote it from a different character's point of view. 
It was originally about a cop from Alexandria going down there on a drug case and working with a local female officer, and it didn't work. So I turned it around and wrote it from her point of view, which was an interesting stretch, but you like that. So we'll see if anybody else does. Well, I uh, I think you should stick with short stories when the ideas are there because uh, all all the ones I've read have been good. Uh, I remember when Colin was putting together The Eviction of Hope, I, I had a little bit of an inside track to kind of what was going on because we'd talk a bunch. And he was super uh, excited about uh, your story and especially the image of uh, of the guy dropping the bottle into the dumpster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I still talk about that that image as being one of my f- absolute favorite from that series or from that that collection. Uh, I, I just can't get that out of my head. Uh, imagining some guy doing that. That character is Kelly. He doesn't have his name. And my wife talked him out, talked me out of using him as Kelly because some of the things he does in that book don't necessarily reflect credit on him without giving mm-hmm. the story away. But that would be Kelly sometime after book four in the arc that I'm working on in terms of where he is with his family and not having contact and maybe maybe regaining contact. But uh, that was that was a ton of fun. I like yeah. I liked reading your books to mind them and come up with the characters and maybe some things I could throw in that were a uh, little, what do they call it in a, in a video game? Um, Easter eggs. Easter eggs. Yeah. 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 You did great. Fun. You did great. That was a fun we part of, of, of writing in, in those 509 crime stories is, is finding ways to grab onto characters or places or little references. Uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. The story you had in the Tattered Blue Line, Perception, uh, I think is a little different in that you 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 did get a little political, I would say, and I think in a really uh, positive way. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the reaction is to that story as well. Not just readers that have read that story uh, and other uh, cops and activists, but uh, I'm kind of curious. You you actually use that story in an educational setting, uh, and I'd be curious to hear how that went. I got drafted to fill in for a high school teacher in her criminal justice one and two classes. About four different classes, 75 kids total. She had to go out on family leave for an emergency, and they needed a long, a, a three-week long-term sub. I have no teaching experience whatsoever, but I got drafted to it because they thought I could just tell war stories, (laughs) which I needed to because um, with her going out that way, I had no lesson plan and students like, like, like students always are, were not always receptive to telling me, Hey, what are you guys working on? So I'd have to kind of go in and wing it. And I thought, here's an opportunity to really talk to a, you know, a very diverse group. Uh, minority majority about what they think about cops. They knew I was an ex-cop. I'd been brought in specifically because if they're criminal justice, they can ask me questions about police work. I can tell war stories. But I I wanted to talk with them about what they thought of police with, with an idea toward maybe they don't know what to think. We talked a lot about violence. We talked a lot about uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, For about four days, I had names up on the board, all the major Black Lives Matter police killing cases from Michael Brown to Jacob Blake to the others. And I would talk about them, give them sort of the the thumbnail. Jacob Blake was shot in the back by a cop in front of his children. 
because that was the press and BLM version. And then the next day I would say, another way to look at that case is this is a guy that was wanted for sexual assault and grand larceny auto that was known to police. And when they came to arrest him on those warrants, he pulled a knife and tried to drive away in a car full of kids and the officers. So they, you know, just try to give him both versions. And I thought I would try and get through and see kids didn't care. High school kids are in a really tough place right now. They spent two years hiding from COVID and then they come out and they're not really talking to people. But I still wanted to get something out of them. And since I had no paperwork to give them whatsoever, I gave them my short story. I gave them perception with the teacher's permission. I could email her and stuff. And I said, I want to give them a short story that's about a police reform technique where a department, I guess I can say this much, goes to the extreme edge of reform by taking the pistols away from all other uniformed officers and they go out on patrol unarmed. What would that look like? Would that appease the community that sees them as an occupying force? And so I gave all of these kids the story with your permission, Frank, thank you. And said, okay, in two days, I want three paragraphs. I want you to tell me, is this possible? Is it a good idea? Would it work? And I got some interesting answers. And interestingly, two of the kids thought I wasn't giving any attention to the needs or perceptions of the Black community, which, which was really an odd perception on their part, because the whole point of the story is the police that are bending over to placate or work with the Black and Hispanic community. We have some issues like that in Alexandria. They threw all the SROs out of the schools because the argument was made that minority kids saw them as a dangerous and occupying armed force. There are certainly two sides to that argument. So I wanted to get from these kids what they thought of that. I had some other kids that really put some thought into their essays. I only got to see about eight of the essays. They all went straight to the teacher. But some of these kids are really thoughtful. And as it turns out, among the 70 kids, two of them want to be cops. Two of them came up to me at the end of classes and says, I'm, I want you to know I'm interested. It wasn't because of me, but they were, they were comfortable talking and they had good experiences with police and they wrote that into their essays. And one of those kids doesn't know, but he's going to be in one of my books, his feelings and his perceptions. His brother was a gangbanger and he felt nervous around his brother's friends, but he felt better when the Hispanic cops were in the community and could could be with him. So hmm. it was the three weeks of teaching were the worst three weeks of my life because I didn't feel like I was doing any good. I've never failed at anything. I mean, I've had problems and I've had police days that were challenging, but I've never had a whole assignment, a whole job that I didn't think I was doing any good. And I felt that way at the end. And on the very last day, I got talking with four of the kids during a lunch break. During It was a study hall between lunches. And one of them asked me, what was it like teaching us? And I said, this has been a terrible experience. I don't think I did you guys any good. I think I failed you as a teacher and I wish I could have done more. And the kid says to me, you're the best substitute we've ever had. I said, you're, you're, you're crazy. You're an idiot. I can't possibly be the best teacher. They said, no, you're the only one who ever talked with us. All the other subs come in and just hand out paper and sit there and don't, you know, tell us to be quiet, but they never share and they never talk. And I thought, oh my God, I wish I'd known that when 
90% of the class is down looking at their phones and their computers in the classes because that's what they do in Alexandria City High School nowadays. But I got through to a couple of them and that made it a good experience. Plus, I got some feedback on the story. Even It was already accepted. <laughs> but it was, it was nice to hear what people thought. The only thing you did wrong in all of what you just told us is you didn't uh, make sure to tell those two kids that wanted to be cops that they needed to apply to the fire department. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> hey, Mark, thanks for being with us today. We covered a lot of interesting topics. If any of the listeners want to find out more information about you, where can they go? Well, I guess now I have to reactivate my blog. I have one that I haven't written for in quite a while, but since you might send some people, I have a blog at markbergenwriter.com and my book, uh, Apprehension, is available at uh, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. You have to search Apprehension by Mark Bergen because there are a lot of books called Apprehension. And there's also this guy, Mark Bergen, that, that writes a lot of books about how to draw cartoons. So you've got to put those two together. But um, I've got another book that isn't done yet, which means the earliest it'll be out is a year or two. But I'm working on that. But I'm fortunate enough to have the short stories in both of your uh, anthologies and maybe more coming up. Right on, right on. Well, we look forward to seeing you in uh, Minneapolis at BoucherCon, right? Yes. Excellent. Yes, Perfect. Definitely. Maybe we can All be right. on a panel together again. Love it. <laughs> Love it. We could, we could do some damage. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time. Thanks a lot for being on the show, Mark. We'll, we'll see you later. Frank, Colin, thank you very much. This was great. Thanks, buddy. All right, folks, there you go. Colin and I's interview with Mark Bergen, a really cool guy, great writer. Uh, looking forward to hanging out with him here in about a month down at the Public Safety Writers Association Conference in uh, the boring city of Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, and then again at BoucherCon, as Colin mentioned, uh, in Minneapolis in September. If you like police procedurals, uh, then uh, apprehension is one you should check out. Uh, additionally, he mentioned the anthologies that he's in, The Eviction of Hope, which is a really cool 509 crime anthology uh, that, that uh, Colin published, and then I published The Tattered Blue Line, short stories of contemporary policing, and Mark has an excellent story called Perception in that. So thank you to both Mark and Colin for being on the show, but before I go, I have a rather large announcement to make. Uh, as of this episode, I will be putting Wrong Place or Right Crime on hiatus. So what does hiatus mean? Uh, well, a strict definition of the word would just mean a break. Uh, and I use that word because I like to keep my options open. Maybe I'll do some special episodes later, or maybe I'll pick it back up again, or maybe something else will happen. But at present, there are no plans to do that. This is uh, tentatively the end. This show's been on since 2017, had over 165 episodes, uh, over 170 guests, and it's been a great run, uh, but it is time to, uh, to, to hang up the microphone. Uh, you might wonder why. The simple reason is time. Uh, I'm working really hard on my own work, and uh, the podcast takes up a lot of time and a lot of effort. Now, to be clear, it's been worth the time and effort. Uh, I've had the opportunity to meet some wonderful writers, uh, some of whom were my friends that I got to help promote. Others became my friends after coming on the show. 
In some instances, I got to meet uh, authors who I have admired from afar uh, and have had some just tremendous experiences uh, interacting with those different authors. It's been a privilege uh, to to do so. But uh, all things must end, right? And this is uh, the time for this podcast to come to an end. Now, I said that the uh, reason primarily is time, and that is true. I have a very ambitious publication schedule over the next couple of years. So I suppose if I am going to be gone for a while, I should update you one last time on the on the Zephyro calendar. So uh, coming in 2022, I've got uh, two more River City novels, uh, two more Spokompton novels, a fourth Stefan Copriva mystery, uh, as well as being in the Paranoia Blues that uh, Mark mentioned during the interview. Got a few things coming out under my Frank Scalise name as well, uh, but those are those are the highlights. Uh, additionally, the uh, Stanley Melvin P.I. stories uh, novella uh, series is going to kick off uh, probably in August. There'll be a, about three of those. Uh, on July 1st, the final episode of Season 4 of A Grifter's Song will come out. Uh, that is Dangerous to Know by Hilary Davidson. And it's a banger. It's a good good way to end the series. Uh, I should add that uh, Season 5 has been greenlit. The authors are in place and work is underway. So there will be a fifth and final season of A Grifter's Song. So uh, you can look forward to that. But for now, check out... Hillary Davidson's Dangerous to Know, episode number 28, available July 1st. Uh, jumping ahead into 2023, you can expect uh, two more River City novels, two more Copriva novels, a Jack McCrae novel, and uh, two Sandy Banks thrillers. Uh, Sandy Banks is a character I first wrote in The Last Horseman back in about 2010 or 2011, so that series has been waiting a long time to get some follow-ups, uh, and that's going to happen. Uh, I'll also write the uh, sixth book in the Spokompton series to kind of round that out. Uh, additionally, I've got a couple of projects that are kind of penciled in, if, if, if time allows, things that have been uh, uh, kind of pushing at the seams for a while, wanting to, to, to get onto the calendar. Uh, and Colin and I are going to begin work on the next book in the Charlie 316 series, uh, which I'm pretty excited about uh, because that's an idea that's been banging around for quite a while. So obviously that's a lot of books and uh, you can see why I've been carving time out of my schedule uh, to include the podcast and, and other obligations to be able to try to meet that uh, publication schedule and still deliver the quality that uh, readers uh, deserve and, and certainly demand. All right. Well, I do want to thank Mark and Colin for coming on the show and being part of the season and, uh, I guess, series finale. Uh, likewise, Down and Out Books for sponsoring this podcast for the majority of its run. The over 170 guests who have been on the show, uh, and curiously enough, uh, the number one most listened to episode uh, is the one featuring Christopher Moore, who is primarily known as a humorist, but uh, he came on the show when his book Noir came out, uh, and just a tremendous guy, very sincere, very down-to-earth, uh, funny, but but thoughtful. Uh, I really enjoyed that interview. It's one of my favorite interviews, and so I'm glad to see that it's the most listened-to episode. 
the second most listened to episode was basically episode number one. It was the first interview anyway, uh, with Dave Zeltzerman. And, uh, that was way back in 2017. And, uh, I really appreciated Dave coming on the show, this fledgling podcast that no one had ever heard of. Uh, and he, you know, he did it as a favor to me and, and, uh, just gave a tremendous interview. You should go back and listen to it. The sound quality may be a little rougher than you're used to, but he is uh, an intelligent guy who really talked about all the different things he had going on, all the different aspects of his life and his writing. Uh, and he was very honest in his assessment of the uh, publishing landscape. Just a great guy. And I uh, really uh, appreciated him doing me that favor of being the first guest. And lo and behold, uh, it's the second most listened to episode of all 166. So uh, that, that's pretty cool. Of course, I could go down the line 164 more times and talk about how great the guests have been on this show uh, because they have. Uh, so thank you, each and every one of you. It's been my pleasure to meet you and talk with you and uh, to, to promote you and your work. And uh, I'm grateful that you took the time to come on the show. Uh, lastly, I do want to thank who you would expect me to thank last, and that is you, the listener. Uh, I've often said that as a writer, I would write even if nobody read what I wrote, and that is true. Uh, I've done it, in fact, uh, but I don't think I would podcast if nobody were going to listen. Uh, it doesn't make the same kind of sense to me. And so I've been very fortunate uh, to have heard back from uh, a number of you to know that you've enjoyed the show, that you've enjoyed the guests, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, this will remain available, all of these episodes, so uh, please go back and listen to the guests that have been on this show. If their work interests you, uh, buy it, support them. Maybe you will discover your next favorite author. But I'm grateful for the time that you've given me, the ear that you've uh, lent to this show, and uh, I really do appreciate it. Uh, it's been a worthwhile experience on a variety of levels, and none of it would have mattered if it weren't for you, the listener. So... Thank you. Uh, as I mentioned, this is most likely the end for this podcast, but you never know. Either way, I am sure I will see uh, many of you further on up the road. Until then, always remember that sometimes you gotta be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs>